The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer break down the legacy of the territories and delve into the World Wrestling Council. Welcome to Legacy of the Territories. Myself, Dave LaGreca, and of course, the landlord of the House of Hardcore, the heart and soul of professional wrestling, and the walking pro wrestling encyclopedia, Tommy Dreamer and Tommy I'm really looking forward to our territory show today. Taking uh, a, where they talk about the forbidden door, talk about where dream matches have happened. Well, they all happened in Puerto Rico. And what a hotbed. I mean, hot, hotbed of pro wrestling for years. Yeah. And Puerto Rico is, again, one of those territories, Tommy, that I wasn't able to watch on television I really relied on the pro wrestling magazines, especially main event magazine, which George Napolitano was the head photographer. He would always travel into Puerto Rico. would get those great shots of Carlos Colon bleeding or Abdul the Butcher or Bruiser Brody. And that was really the catalyst for me to want to know everything about that territory. Yeah, you always saw all these bloody pictures of all, and like also all these matches of like, wait, I didn't know these type of matches happened. Or, I mean, they were hardcore before hardcore was extreme. Um, these dream matches, wait, I didn't know this guy was wrestling. I mean, if you go to that island, Carlos Colon, legend. I mean, bona fide, like, goat of Puerto Rico. He founded the company, started the company, and, you know, gave his blood, uh, his sweat and his tears to the to the people. And, you know, he went out there and busted his ass, bled buckets, and, you know, also talked them in. It was all the, what, you know, the 80s, the 70s, all what pro wrestling was all about in this very, very small geographically place. But, man, it was just like one of the biggest places to go and wrestle where you're wrestling seven, eight times a week and you're making a lot of money and a lot of Americans would come in. You had, you know, great weather and easy commute. And making money. I mean, if that's not a place that you want to go, if you're a professional wrestler, and I mean, the talent is endless. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it pretty much, you know, Facebook, uh, however you find material. But I mean, you go back. I mean, there's so many legends of this game that, you know, went there and just did big, big business because that island was unique. The fans are unique and they just love their their professional wrestling or their lucha libre but in a good way. Yeah, and and Tommy, you mentioned Carlos Colon. You and I got to see Carlos Colon live in action at the Meadowlands in 1984. And 
He wasn't the biggest guy. He wasn't the most muscular guy. But when you saw him in the ring, you knew you were looking at a legend. Even back then in 1984, there was an aura around Carlos Colon. And I think a lot of it had to do with the stuff that we read, the clips that we were able to see on TV. But he is one of those legendary wrestlers that really transcended what we were watching in the ring. And I really do think, like you said, he was the guy when it came to Puerto Rico. Yes. I mean, you you saw bits and pieces of him. I seen him in Southwest. I saw him in uh, Mid-Atlantic. But when he went to Mid-Atlantic or, you know, early NWA, uh, like I'm talking early Starcade era, it's because he was such a big star that he went from, you know, promotion to promotion. Think about it. He's the owner. He's the uh, top guy. If he couldn't do it in the ring, he would, you know, he, back then it was a much different business. If somebody didn't want to do good business or if somebody wanted to, you know, go after the boss, this is a real deal. Or if, hey, you screwed me over here and I may face you in the ring somewhere yep. else. These are things that definitely happened in the, in the 70s and 80s. But Carlos was so charismatic. He was such a great in-ring performer. I mean, I, I've gone back and watched a lot of his matches. And I mean, in Puerto Rico, he had to do almost nothing until he blew his comeback. But then once he blew his comeback, you know, it was golden, but here in the States, he would work his ass off. I mean, trust me, I've seen a lot of his matches, early matches. I mean, he did a lot of stuff. I remember watching him in uh IWA and I couldn't believe some of the moves that he was doing. And I was like, and I, and I remember texting his son Carlito and be like, dude, your you and your father moved so so similar and then he was like i didn't even knew that match happened because i had sent him the the link and it was just amazing for the stuff that he could do because again it was different it was like i said it was aerial lucha it was just things that were different you know that we weren't accustomed to like we are today because you know this was a place that we only got on paper that's the only place that you and i would see it or if we had a rare tape trading and i remember when I had a tape, when everyone would say wrestling was fake or wrestling wasn't real, and I would always pull out my VCR tape that I had, wrestling is real, and it was one where Manny Fernandez jumped off the top rope on Invader and broke his sternum, yep. and you see him the blood pouring spots. blood yeah. out of his mouth. Or it was Carlos, Hercules, Aya, and and their face being touched into the fire and our barbed wire, and I was like, that's real fire. That's real blood. That's real barbed wire. How is that fake? And like all my friends, again, I'm also 12, 13, but like, oh my God. It was like, uh, what was that VCR tape? Faces of death, but it was uh, real because it was real to me and it still is. Yeah, and if you're going to have a hero like Carlos Colon, you needed a villain and that villain was Abdul the Butcher. And when you looked at an Abdul the Butcher and his size and how he always would use a foreign object, it worked in telling the story of the match because like you said, most of the offense would come from Abdul the Butcher. And then Carlos Colon would make that comeback near the end of the match and pull out a victory. Like, it was believable because if if Abdul the Butcher, a man of his size, was going to hit you, you were going to bleed. If he was going to pull out a fork, you're going to bleed. And there was no wrestler that was, to me, at that age, watching scarier than Abdul the Butcher. Hey, if he didn't like you, go fork yourself. That's what really he would do all the time. <laughs> um, one other thing about Puerto Rico that was very, very different than a lot of the territories, Tommy. 
And it was something that we didn't see in the States really until later on. And there was the rare occurrence, but whenever I would catch any kind of footage from Puerto Rico, it was usually outdoors and it was usually in a stadium, a baseball stadium or soccer stadium that was filled with people. You know, watching wrestling here in the States, most of the wrestling I grew up watching was in studio or in armories where it was just a couple of hundred people. But whenever you saw the footage from Puerto Rico, there was thousands of people. We're used to seeing that now because of WrestleManias. But back in the day, it was very rare to see events that had 35, 40,000 people. I had uh, read somewhere that they had done consecutive stadium sellouts on a monthly basis. And uh, we could ask our guests coming up, uh, if you want to go out and check out one of these matches, like I said, seek them out. But I remember watching Terry Funk versus Barry Windham, and they're on this baseball stadium. And the floor is not that many people, but then they go and brawl in the crowd. And then I look to see this baseball stadium and every single seat is full. And I was like, what am I seeing? It's also yeah. an amazing match between two amazing workers. Yeah, and you talk about the guests that we're going to have consecutively here on Legacy of the Territories to talk about Puerto Rico. We are going to have Hugo Savinovich, who was the voice of WWEC, also did so much pro wrestling when it came to in-ring and also as a manager for Abdul the Butcher. He's going to join us. Also, in that, right after that, a son of Carlos Colon, Carlito, is going to join us when we're back right here. Legacy of the Territories. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors. No prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to Factormeals.com Busted50 and use code Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Busted50 at Factormeals.com Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This is Busted Open's presentation of the Legacy of the Territories World Wrestling Council with your hosts, Dave LaGreca and ECW legend, Tommy Dreamer. Welcome back to Legacy of the Territories. Dave LaGreca in the Encyclopedia of Pro Wrestling, Tommy Dreamer. And Tommy, I'm very excited about our next guest. Me too. I mean, I told, uh, he he's one of my pillars. Uh, he's the voice of all of Puerto Rico wrestling, man. I'm so excited to talk to my friend. I haven't seen him in a long time. Hugo Savinovich joins us. And, and Hugo, like, it's funny because we can get into you being the voice of of Puerto Rico. But, uh, and Tommy and I have talked about this on the air before. I grew up watching uh, wrestling on Channel 47 here in New Jersey. And you were the voice of Mid-Atlantic wrestling at that time because I was only able to get it on channel 47 which was the Puerto Rican channel here in New Jersey so you are the voice of my childhood sir 
Thank you very much. Atangana, ahí está mi monstruo. Atlas de Butcher, suelta la mano sobre Carlitos Colón. Fua, fua, dale que no soy yo. That's part of the passion of doing play-by-play -play in Spanish. If you're not real, fans will not buy the product. We are that culture. We are Spanish aficionados of lucha. God, I'm 10 years old again. I feel amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Oof. Give me there chills. Was, there was a moment, Tommy, and, I, and I've been trying to go back and, and find it, and I can't. And there was one point where it was like right in the middle of everything with Dusty and J.J. Dillon, and Dusty grabs J.J. Dillon and pulls off his pants. And J.J. Dillon has a garter belt and stockings. And I just oh, remember yes, you yes. go, yo, J.J. Dillon yes. and garter belt and stockings. It's amazing. Esta desnudo. Esta desnudo con Belia. J.J. Dillon. Esta es una locura. And that, was, and that was actually not just doing the play-by-play. -play. It was crazy to see J.J. with a garter belt. That was unreal. As, as a matter of fact, one time, having Ric Flair in the studio, Dusty Rhodes, I never did an interview in, in the States with Boogeyman, Jamie Valley. And that was like my first time. And you had to cut the promos right away because you had a lot of them. And then they play the music, Boogie comes in, and then out of nowhere, they said he was going to kiss me. But uh, when he kissed me, it was like like a wedding kiss. He, he did like this and stuck his tongue right in my mouth. And I was like, what the heck just happened? And then you have to keep going with the interviews. So that was Boogeyman too. So it was it was beautiful because a lot of crazy things happened. And it was the nostalgia and the romantic times of, of wrestling still being wrestling. Well, talk about crazy times. Here we are talking about Puerto Rico. And, man, when we talk about crazy, I know, and from Dave and myself, uh, you know, growing up in the magazine era and just seeing these crazy type of gimmick matches, blood matches, barbed wire, you know, flaming matches. I mean, Puerto Rico had it all. And you were a part of almost all all of it you know and, and just what was that like because i know you came in as a talent and as a manager so if you tell us some of your experiences there wow it was to see guys like eric the red cowboy bob ellis the wild Samoans, and at that time um, most of the guys if you were not working for berengana or vince mcmahon's father or japan you wanted to be in puerto rico because we ran uh, not just the island but the, the the other islands including a uh, very successful uh, uh country the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. So you had like Mr. Fuji and guys, uh, Dirty Dutch Mantel, Frankie Lane, Gamma Singh, uh, Crazy Lou Graham, the Fabulous Kangaroo. They were actually living in Puerto Rico. So it was beautiful because you were drawing so many people and it was it was more kayfabe in a way that uh, people wanted you to, to treat it like that's it. And, and baby faces were not together with the heels and you will never see Abdullah and Carlos Colon together in the place. And uh, one of the, the ones that I remember was 1983, the Bithern Stadium. Uh, it was so crazy, like 30,000 people. There was nowhere to put them in the fence, like knocked the door and the riot squad cops have to be like a living gate there to stop the fan from coming in. The fire uh, marshal said, if you... If you sell one more ticket, we'll call off the show. And for miles on the highway, there were cars stuck wanting to see. One of the matches was Andre the Giant against Abdullah the Butcher. And I can't recall if it was Carlos Colon against Ric Flair. That's when they did the real Universal Champion, mm -hmm. not the gimmick of Vince Jr. taking. That was the, the real NWA and the World Wrestling Council fighting uh, Ric Flair against Colon. And whoever won that match will be credited like the Universal Champion. So that was like, the real deal, because at that time, NWA 
was like Japan. Even Vince's father was part of the NWA. So if you recognize a championship, it was like Mexico and everybody recognized it. So that was it. I mean, Puerto Rico for a small island was outdrawing a lot of people. And you could even talk to Ric Flair. And it was something about the magic. And Tommy, you worked there. The fans in Puerto Rico, you the baby face into shot, and it was fwa, fwa, and it was some of the most craziest moments that I that I have lived. And uh, Puerto Rico was it. We did stuff there that, like Tommy said, there were wild matches. I remember doing uh, uh, interview with Randy Matchman Savage. Did uh, and the mother almost killed me because I went to their territory in Tennessee and did in front of her. She produced an interview which was just a regular match against Carlos Colon. And then a block away from the studio, we did the real one where Savage was going to go in a scaffold match against uh, one of our top stars. And the mother did not want anything to do. And when she found out, she wanted to kill me about, about that. But they, they did, we did something that was unheard of. Three shows the same night. It was 19, uh, 1987. It was called Aniversario 87. We sold out San Juan Ponce Mayaweb with the old techniques, no digital stuff. I remember there were American guys doing it, long hair, smoking big joints. And that's and I, I was looking at them and saying, what the heck is going on? <laughs> I'm putting my life, my future in the hands. And the guy would say, amigo, everything is cool. And brother, they they did the signal. There was no, because they had to turn the gigantic uh, antenna so we could cover from San Juan. There were three live matches in each place. And we did it up to this date to do three shows at one night, even now with digital and everything. Can you imagine uh, to have three shows at the same time with no digital, uh, uh, you know, modern technique, just long hair engineers from United States, all smoking marijuana, which was already a big deal because they could be arrested back then for doing that. So it was crazy. And, and, I, and, I, and I still love to, to romanticize about, wow, the, what we gave the people of the Caribbean islands. We were really the pirates of the Caribbean because I used to get away with, with stuff, smoking, doing coke in the cars, and the cops loved us. The mafia people, the mafia people loved us. And not right now, I'm a pastor, so I've been clean for 30 years. But back then, I mean, if you think about pirates of the Caribbean, that was Lucha in Puerto Rico. We got away with stuff, having the Davidson brothers, Duncan for the Federal Kangaroos. We used to bring our own food for the days we were in Trinidad. It was like like with the pirates, you know, that the, where they had their treasures, gigantic uh, uh, chest like that, full of food so we could cook. And we had like legends like Pampero Furpo being our cook. Can you imagine that? Pampero Furpo being our chef and and to see Crazy Lou Graham and, and to see Dirty Dutch Mattel with the... You've been you've been eating, dining, and and to hear a story from El Sucio Dutch Mantel, priceless. And then Abdullah doing like this with all his jewelry. I mean, you cannot even dream this stuff. Yeah, uh, I lived at DCW, so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> it was the Wild Wild West. Hey, who would you say is uh, your Mount Rushmore of Puerto Rico wrestling? Wow, Carlos Colon. Not because he was the owner, but brother, he kept it real. I remember any special match that I did with him on the cage. He will love you, but he will potato the heck out of you. And uh, that's the same thing he did with Abdullah. So I think Carlos Colon was like an institution. Uh, he sacrificed a lot. Uh, uh, I believe him. And uh, the guy that will come close to it, it will be uh, Savio Vega. It was just unfortunately that I had convinced Jovic and Carlos to 
to give TNT, uh, that was his gimmick name there, mm -hmm. Karateka Ninja, to give him the title. And my story was for a whole year after TNT beat Carlos, he will not give Carlos a rematch and Carlos will keep feeding him, him with great guys. And everything was set. Stadium was full and 50 minutes before that, Carlos was the owner and Jubik and he says, no, we're going to go uh, 60 minutes draw. And I said, Carlos, this is not good. And uh, 20 minutes into the match, the fans read, read it. The fans, it was telegraphed. And it, that was one of the biggest mistakes because I think that TNT could have taken the product to another level. And perhaps another one was they never knew how to produce Carlito Caribbean Cool. Carlito, to me, it's such a great worker, but their own company did not know how to present it. Because remember, once you have a legend like Cologne, you cannot just do the same thing with Carlito. And they just never saw it. And I was already with Vince Jr. in the state, so I was not any longer right. producing for them. Um, you know, Tommy mentioned it at the top of the interview about the magazines. And, you know, we learned uh, about Puerto Rico because we weren't able to watch it here, you know, where we were. And it was all from the pro wrestling magazines. George Napolitano would go to Puerto Rico and take those great shots of the, you know, bloody Carlos Colon against Abdul the Butcher. How big were those magazines back in the mid 80s? Oh, they were they were like. And I don't want to knock modern uh, te technologies and stuff like that, but that even the Mexican wrestling as a kid growing up in Ecuador, you waited for that magazine to come to to come to the store. And uh, I think that the, that was our Facebook, that was our YouTube, that was our Instagram, that was it. But there was it's something about touching the paper and mm -hmm. going through the, the pages. physical copy of and, it. Yes, yeah, uh, yes, it made you dream. It made you dream about those moments, you know, like now, 24 hours, you can see from WWE to everybody on, on YouTube or Facebook. But back then, you had to read it and then get into that that moment. To me, that's priceless. I, that's what I still think that reading a book, uh, it's, it's such a unique experience because it makes you uh, part of the story. And that's what the magazines did back then. And uh, uh, it, 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 to me, uh, it's such a shame that that we don't have that uh, in that aspect any longer because I think that the, those were the tools that that uh, promoters used to uh, tell their stories and also to sell out the biggest events. Did you know that before pay per views, the first Starcade in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, uh, I was managing Abdullah the Butcher in that yep. show and. And that show was being watched in a big screen in Bayamon Stadium. That's how that's how big uh, magazines were because we used to promote it in, in in a lot of ways through the magazines, and people wanted to to have that experience. Uh, do you have a favorite moment as a performer where you just look back and you were like, "Wow"? Because uh, you, I mean, you've had an amazing career, but a lot yeah. of like. A lot of people in the States didn't realize you were a manager, like, you know, a wrestler. You, you were involved in, like, every gimmick match. But, you know, do you have a favorite moment where it's just like, like, uh, wow, like, how did yeah. I get here? Yeah, yeah. The three shows in one night, I was, when the last match was over, it was like just sweat coming out of my body. I was, like, dehydrated. But there was one particular moment. Vince Jr. had wanted me to start working for him, but at the time, I was married to his champion, Wendy Richter. That was, she was my wife. And I said to him, uh, if you get upset with me 
or her, you're going to fire the two of us. And right now in Puerto Rico, I said, I'm making a lot of money and she has her check with you and I'm doing good here. So uh, when they had the first WrestleMania, after that success, they brought that WrestleMania into Puerto Rico. And that put us like a Romeo and Juliet story, uh, like his champion. I'm, I'm the husband and we're competing against each other. And uh, Cindy Lauper only came out. And it was a rainy Saturday night. And the most tickets they sold was like 5,000 with a lot of giveaways. And the lady promoter, boxing promoter, lost her butt on that card. And with one creation of Abdullah and Carlos, like a wire going through the middle of the ring, and then they were like hooked to that wire. And that was like the invention for that night. And with the rain and everything, we still did like 10,000 people. So that to me was like a big moment because you had Hulk Hogan, you had the fever of WrestleMania and all of that. And still they, they were not able to conquer Puerto Rico. And I think that, that Vince knows that. Uh, uh, the, if you give the fans a good product, it doesn't matter if you're Vince McMahon or Tony Khan, uh, Puerto Rican fans will be uh, faithful to you. It's just that uh, we had had such a horrible series of, of uh, bad, bad, bad promoting yes. in Puerto Rico. But other than that, that to me was a very important night because we were able to stop what was hot at that moment, the creation of WrestleMania. And they been, they probably got like 3,000 tickets paid and we got like uh, over 9,000 tickets paid. So to me, that was like a big turning point. Like uh, Vince could not really touch us in Puerto Rico. I love it. And, you know, for younger fans that are listening to this show right now, is there a particular show or match that might be available on YouTube that you would think, all right, for the fans who aren't educated on Puerto Rico, you have to watch this because this really is the essence of what that promotion was. Well, almost all of the 80s. Uh, I mean, because you had from Andrew the Giant to, to, like I said, the main heel guy, Abdullah, but you had Briscoe's. You had the Funks. Uh, we had Bruno Sammartino. And people, people, uh, if you don't understand. To understand Bruno Sammartino, you have to be a young kid, 1970. Uh, the old uh, Mets stadium was Shea Stadium, where at the time the Mets had uh, John Miller, Felix Milian. And then there was this big angle between Pedro Morales and, and Bruno. And they had a, a false finish where people thought that it was George the Animal Steel who was going to stop the match, but actually they went into curfew because of the midnight rules. And the, but that 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 put my my mind into wow! Look 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 at the magic of uh, of wrestling. So I think that that was one moment. And to see Bruno in, in Puerto Rico, he was such a gentleman, and I I I hated it that because I was a manager, I was doing so good with Abdullah. Uh, I was taken off the match. I was going to work against Bruno Sammartino, but but Carlos said, I know he was right. You know, people want to see you get killed, and, and Bruno is going to beat you with a bear hug. He's a legend, but business-wise for the Caribbean, uh, you know, why would they want to see you get beat at the stadium when Bruno beat you in four minutes? So, But I hated that because I wanted to work with, with Bruno. He was, uh, to me, one of the, like a nature boy, Buddy Rogers or a Ric Flair uh, oh my God! It was just uh, guys that 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 symbolize what wrestling it's all about. Wow, Hugo, this has been great. We really appreciate the time. Thanks for the education. Thanks for all the moments and memories that you've given us as wrestling fans. Oh, I gotta give you ten. I gotta give you ten seconds. I just Tommy Dreamer. It's in Caguas. Contra Castillo. Don't Tommy Dreamer. I go 
you got 20 seconds of Spanish favorite play there. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Hugo, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Love you guys. Blessings. Thank you to Hugo Savinovich. We'll keep the conversation going on legacy of the territories as we talk Puerto Rico with our very special guest, Carlito, right here on a very special edition of Busted Open. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash busted open. That's mintmobile.com slash busted open. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash busted open. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This is Busted Open's presentation of the Legacy of the Territories World Wrestling Council with your hosts, Dave LaGreca and ECW legend, Tommy Dreamer. Welcome back to Legacy of the Territories. It's Dave LaGreca and, of course, the encyclopedia of pro wrestling, Tommy Dreamer. And, Tommy, we're talking the great Puerto Rican territory First, as we explained earlier, Capital Sports Promotions, then turning into the World Wrestling Council, WWC. And who better to talk about that, the legacy, the family legacy when it comes to this great territory, than the one and only Carlito. Sir, how are you today? Good, good. How are you guys? I am wonderful. I get to see you, my friend. (laughs) I see you all the time, though, here and there. Yeah, we see each other on grizzled injury indies. Uh, when we're doing this territory, I was like, man, we got to talk about it because Puerto Rico was such a hotbed for professional wrestling for so, so long. And uh, who better to talk to is uh, you growing up in the industry. I mean, I know like some of the things that you did from early on, but if you could tell our audience about refereeing, setting up the ring and just also being the son of a Hall of Famer and a legend, uh, Carlos Colon. Yeah, like I've said many times before, all my jobs, I've never had a job outside of wrestling. Uh, all my jobs was from, I think maybe I started about 14 years old. I started in the canteen selling sodas and uh, we call them empanadillas, which are these horrible pastries or not pastries, whatever, but it's just, I don't know, you can get them like for, you know, I think retail is like three cents and sell them like for $2 or something. Um, from there, where did I go? I think aware, I started putting up the ring. I was on the ring crew, you know, I'd ride in the truck uh, from there. I think then I went back to beer hawker, you know, the guys going around yelling cold beer all night. Uh, from there, I think I went to cameraman. And then from cameraman, eventually, you know, the next uh, logical step, obviously, was to become a wrestler. Did your father <laughs> smarten you up to the wrestling business as a kid? He did not. No, he did not. I kind of, you know, we kind of like figured it out on our own. But yeah, he... Uh, he would never tell us until I think until really I had to do my first match. He kind of explained, well, you know, this is work. It's like, yeah, no shit, dad. <laughs> How was it like? I mean, you're seeing your father 
bleeding or seeing your father getting his ass kicked by Abdul the Butcher? Like, how was that for you growing up? But it's, it's it's funny how the human being is, um, because even before I knew it was a work, uh, I would see my dad he'd bleed every weekend. Then, you know, I'd see him during I'd see him at home. He'd be fine. And then go back next week, bleed. So people like, uh, you know, you just get numb to it. You're like, you know, doesn't it? You know, don't you cry? Doesn't, no, because, you know, he seems to be fine. <laughs> yeah, he gets beat up, whatever. But, you know, life goes on. I don't know. It was weird. It just it was used to seeing that. You know, I, as a, as a fan, I was exposed uh, to the territory from the magazines, and you know, Tommy and I talked about the importance of you know George Napolitano because George would travel to Puerto Rico for those great pictures and use them for most of the covers that we would see on Main Event Magazine was from the Puerto Rico territory. Do you remember how important those magazines were back in the day? Yeah, I remember those. I remember it was black and white, right? Yeah, black yep. and white, and then cover, then cover. You know, was in color. Cover be color, and then everything else would be black and white. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, those. Uh, yeah, those. Uh, yeah, those are great pictures that he would take. The um, Puerto Rico was kind of like you know we talk about now the Forbidden Door, where all these territories like would merge. But Puerto Rico always had like these dream matches that you wouldn't see else because the wrestlers would want to come in. Your father would offer them a payday. You hang out for the weekend. Uh, you do some amazing shows. I had read somewhere they did 36 straight sellouts at Bayamon Stadium in a, uh, uh, each and every week. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Well, every week it'd be a sellout everywhere. Sometimes they'd do uh, double shots and be a sellout at both venues. And, you know, Puerto Rico's only 100 miles by 35 miles, so imagine that. That's uh, It's a easy travel and a, a beautiful place uh, to visit. I love – I mean, I remember the first time your dad ever called me and I was totally marking out. And uh, I even knew you, and I was like, oh, my gosh, they want me to come to Puerto Rico. I've friggin' made it. Um, <laughs> what is something, like, do you have a favorite memory growing up as a kid watching your dad? A favorite memory? Um, I think. You know, it's just it's so many years it all blurs together. I think one of my favorite moments probably was just I did a, 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 a six-man, and I tagged my brother and my dad against, I don't know who, but it was just cool to be uh, in there, you know being with my dad and my brother. Were you home when Abdul the Butcher showed up at your house and uh, beat up your father at his house, at your house? Oh, I can't remember. All no. I remember, all I remember is um, they had to, to sell it. They had, they wanted me crying. You know, I was like, I'm not going to be on TV crying. Whatever. You know, they try to explain to me. I'm, I don't know how old I am, but I, I remember I was just so mad that I had to be on TV crying. <laughs> I think it seems I'm with my head down and whatever. And then they cut the promo and I was like, man, this is such bullshit. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I get it. I get it now. But back then I was like, man, why, why do I have to cry on TV? But I get I it. Cry now. all the but, time. <laughs> yeah, just not on TV. <laughs> no, all the time on TV. <laughs> I'm an emotionless robot at, in real world, but on television, I cry all the time. <laughs> you know, Tommy was just talking about how he felt he made it once he got the call from your dad to come and work in Puerto Rico. Uh, I obviously people love to come to Puerto Rico. It's probably easy to get wrestlers to come there because how beautiful it is. But was it also because of respect for your dad as well that people wanted to work in Puerto Rico? Uh, I'd love to say that, but I, you know, I think it's probably the beach and the uh, and the girls. You know what I mean? Which I totally understand that too. <laughs> it was a good territory for both. <laughs> exactly. The, I was um, taking that deal too. Who? would you say is the Mount Rushmore of Puerto Rico wrestling? I mean, I think your dad is, I mean, he started the whole thing. He's, he's number one. It's got it's four, right? It's gotta be Abdullah. 
my dad, um, Invader, you know, whatever opinion you have over him, he's, he's, I got to put him on it. Uh, and then the fourth guy would have to be Ray Gonzalez, probably. Ooh, good one. I, I actually had the same ones. And then my fourth one, I was there between Ray Gonzalez, either Chicky Star or, or yeah, Chicky's a good one. Or you go too. Or you go too. Yeah, those are good. But you, you well, you know, you goes more of the announcer. Wrestling, he wasn't the. Uh, he was also the manager, and he would always get his ass. Yeah, 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 yeah. As as the voice, he's he's the official voice. I think you know. Right. Puerto Rico. Yeah, and Tommy, as you know, you go just didn't do that territory. But when I watched Mid Atlantic Wrestling in the eighties, he did the Spanish call for Mid Atlantic. Like he dubbed over all those calls and such. You go was like a star even here uh, for us watching pro wrestling. Um, you know, was the biggest feud your dad and Abdul the Butcher is like, is that was the, was that the one blood feud that probably everybody remembers over everything else? Oh yeah. But I think by far, yeah, it's, it's always, you know, everybody, whenever I, you know, I, I go to States and I, you know, I see some fans from back in the day. That's all they talk about is, yeah. I remember those, those, those wars, those blood baths with Abdul and your father. Which I think they worry every time. She's they always did personal stuff there. Uh, even the later days, I remember Conan telling me his favorite angles where he married your sister, mm-hmm. and everyone was like, He's gonna turn, he's gonna turn. And then when he does, and I mean, Conan speaks that with such like proudness because he's like, Yeah, man, we got married, we did this, all this stuff. And like, you know, Carlos wasn't happy, but it was just those personal issues is what drew money, especially there. And then like you also, we were talking about it was blood, because if you're really beating the shit out of somebody, they're going to be bleeding. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember that he broke a guitar over my sister's head and somebody forgot to gimmick it. So she ended up with like, like five or six stitches. I think my dad didn't come home for a couple of days just as he was scared of my mom and my sister. Um <laughs> But uh, you know, and then we had to remember we had to call SWAT to uh, yeah to get uh, Conan out of the building. Crazy, crazy oh. times, and all the wrestlers yeah. would always talk about the fans. I again, I love it with the wah every time you punch. Oh yeah, you the SWAT. Funny, funny story about that. Uh, I was working. I was working Taker in uh, in Puerto Rico, and when he's doing the comeback, this is the wah. Now the wah, you don't bump. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the wah, wah. All of a sudden, he stops and he looks at me. Are you gonna bump for me, kid? I was like, Oh man, my bad. I think he, I think in his mind he thought, Oh, he's in Puerto Rico, so he's gonna, you know, he's not, he's gonna. It's like, Oh man, he just. Like, and there's one guy you don't want to piss off. It's like, man, my bad. <laughs> Dave, the, well, the t- crowd. I mean, you've seen it too, and the horns, the horn section. Uh, when people come out and they bring their musical instruments and, and there's nothing like it. And Carlito has also told me. I remember I went and worked on their big anniversary show. And I was one, you know, there was probably, he was in the main event. I was like early on and I'm like, man, why is there nobody here? This is like their biggest show. And I was like, I'm not a draw. And he like, Carlito walks past me, like in just total stride. He goes, I don't worry about it. It's Puerto Rico time, bro. They'll come. And then I was like, but like, it's they're an hour past. Like that we're in an hour when Carlito went out and wrestled for that main event. When I tell you that place was frigging packed. He's like, yeah, the fans just come late. (laughs) Island time, yeah, yeah, island time. Nobody's in a hurry. Yeah, you got Don't the beach to go you to. Missed, you missed the best part, some of the best matches. Well, if you, if you see, uh, like, like the, the games in Miami, uh, the Miami Heat games, you'll see the game starts, nobody's there. Then, you know, usually on the second quarter, that's all, it's, it's filled. 
It's, I know it's just just the way a lot of people are. No hurry. To no, go it's a, and it's the same thing with the Dolphins too. You know, I've yeah. noticed that a lot. Like the first and halfway through the second quarter, you know, half the place is empty, and by the time you know the second half starts, the place is full. Uh, yeah. It's definitely true. Well, talk about the fans a little bit more because Tommy brought up about the believability factor, and it felt like you know that they really did believe a hundred percent everything that was going on in that ring. Oh my God, it's brutal. Yeah, especially uh, you know, especially the. Uh... The older folks, like this, well, like the the uh, grandmas, bro. They took that <laughs> serious. They would grab, you know, they would grab me and say, "Man, I want you to beat that mem effer," and you know, just because <laughs> that's all you know. That's, they lived it, and uh, you know, you couldn't tell them, you know, you couldn't tell them it was it was a work. They wouldn't believe you. I remember Terry Funk always tell me, like, man, he was so dangerous to be a heel there, and yet he's still fighting through the crowd, and uh, but. And then when I got to experience it, you know, with people throwing batteries at you, you know, did you, I mean, you were mainly a baby face there, correct? Yeah, I was, yeah, I was mainly a baby face. Were you ever, when you worked there, like felt fear for your opponent or did your dad? Uh, Yeah, sometimes. And sometimes, you know, they go out there, I'd have to grab them and, you know, or you, see, you, you, you do the old trick of like, you know, you look at people, I got them, people, I got them. And you know what I mean? You yeah. start beating them up and then take them back because it could get, yeah, it could get ugly. Dave, let me tell you something I did. Uh, we were in uh, Trinidad, and and Carlito is on the card. It was it was all Americans, man, and and, and a bunch of uh, imports uh, from from Puerto Rico. But it was mainly like an all American card. And it was we we're at a soccer stadium, and it was we were there for two days, and it was raining, so the house wasn't that good. So I figured we we're gonna have fun. And uh, Carlos is sitting there watching the matches, and he's just sitting there watching and out of nowhere i decide to blow his father's comeback and i do the cartwheel i attempt to touch my toes but it doesn't like I, i'm not that agile and then i did his punch and then i put him in the figure four and i see him and he's smiling and he always has like like either a toothpick or like a match in the size of... and then i walk and i he's like man that was good you popped me and uh, he goes, but I do it better. Yours are the shits. <laughs> <laughs> but it meant so much to me that I did that in front of him. But yeah. like, like, and also too, I mean, and Dave, you know this, like to say, like, man, uh, you know, Carlos Colon is my friend, and you know, also I know his sons. But it's just, it's really, really cool because, like, when you grow up watching, I mean, I paid to see your dad wrestle, and you know, you grow up seeing this a legend and icon in the business. And then you form a relationship with him. I think it's, it's the best part about our business. And, and I mean, you got, he's your dad, but to, to so many people, he's a legend. And like I said, an icon, he started Puerto Rican wrestling and, and made that yeah. Island famous and brought so many. And you know, this from when we worked in WWE, put smiles on people's faces for so many years. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Was, you know, like Puerto Rico's a melting pot, you know I mean? You bring in, it was cool. It was the only place you could see, Guys from Japan, wrestle guys from Mexico, wrestle guys from the States, from Puerto Rico, and then just and this the thing was, you know, you just threw all the you know all the styles together, you know what I mean? Because there wasn't back in the day, there was no you know going over everything. It was like you know so the heel locker room, the face locker room, you know, go out there, here's the finish, and go you know go do whatever. So it's just cool just to see the different styles mix it up on the fly. Was your dad almost home every night? Hmm. I'm trying to remember. I think most of the time during the week, you know what I mean? In the weekends, yeah, you'd, you'd hardly see him. Did you get a lot of shit in school? I mean, he was a baby face, but did you get, like, people, like, I mean, your father's a freaking legend. 
yeah, nobody know. Yeah, but nobody messed with me because you know that I was I was Carlos Colon's son. You know, of course, yeah, you know the jokes and stuff, but nobody. Yeah, I was good. I didn't, I didn't really have to get in fights with people because they kind of thought, oh, you know, no, you don't want to mess with him. He's Carlos Colon's son. See, you were cool even back before you knew it was cool. Sort of with with yeah with the guys, not with the girls. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Uh, that came like, oh, later. The wrestler guy. <laughs> uh, you know, I remember, you know, when I first got into the territory and reading about it, you know, Ric Flair would come over a lot and, and go up against your dad. Like, how big is it to have, like, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion come to Puerto Rico? Yeah, no, it was big. I mean, that was probably a little before my time. I must have been, you know, for me to appreciate it, at least. I, you know, I was young then. Uh maybe six, seven years old. But, you know, seeing it now, seeing the old footage and stuff, I mean, that's, you know, that was huge. Yeah. Was, when, when your dad got inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, because of all the accolades that your father went through and everything that he received, was that a big deal for him to go into the Hall of Fame, the WWE Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, I think, I think it's a big deal for anybody, especially in this industry. Uh, you know, I thought he should have gone in a long time ago. But, uh, yeah, for de- me, it definitely was an honor. Uh, to be there, I was, I was just, I was a proud moment for us. When, how, I mean, I know he wrestled in, you know, all over, but like, how did that come where he had this, I guess, brain child or fruition that man wrestling could be really hot in Puerto Rico? Like, how did he, did he ever talk to you about that? I think that was was his dream from day one. I think that was always his goal. He wanted to get into wrestling and eventually open a promotion in Puerto Rico. Like, uh, yeah, I think that's. That was probably his main goal in wrestling was to open up a territory in Puerto Rico. That's friggin' amazing. I mean, because it, it, he did it, you know, and he became the biggest star of all time there. I mean, that's such an accomplishment to, we all have different dreams, but I mean, just think of that. Like he went out there, did it, and then became the biggest star. And, and he, did he borrow money from Vince Sr. or did Gorilla Monsoon come in and partner with him? Do you know? I think Gorilla, I think Gorilla partnered with him, Jovica. Had some money, so I think it was it was those three that kind of started up uh, right capital sports promotions in those days. Very cool. How popular is pro wrestling now in Puerto Rico? It's 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 it's, it's not as popular as it was, just because you know there's so many things now, man. So much entertainment. Uh, I think pretty much now uh, the entertainment is ninety five percent Bad Bunny in Puerto Rico, uh, and then the other five percent goes to everything <laughs> else. Um, but, uh, yeah, but no, if, if, if there's something good, people still show up. I mean, like we just had flair and my dad, um, not too long ago. And, you know, we sold, we sold it as the old rivalry of, you know, 30 years, whatever, since the last time was the final battle and, you know, and they showed up. So as there's something good, yeah, people still, people still want to show up. Yeah. I mean, the Island also took some hits between the hurricane and then the pandemic. Earthquake. Yeah, the pandemic, the earthquake is like one after the other, yeah. Yeah, so that entertainment dollar kind of went away for for a bit. But, I, I mean, like you said, I think if it's if something's hot and something catches on, like Bad Bunny, yes, he's friggin' the most overdue right now, selling out stadiums all across the world. But I think they'll always come back to wrestling, not only just for that nostalgia, but something has to hit and hit at the right time. It's right place, right time, you know? Right, and you got to hit him in the heart. You know I mean? That's, you know... You hit him in the heart, then they'll they'll show up for anything. Someone needs to shave your head. I think Tommy Dreamer needs to turn heel and shave your head. Wow. You know what? I wouldn't I wouldn't mind. That'd, that'd be great for me. I wouldn't mind, especially the summer. 
No, are you kidding me? That's half your gimmick. I'm follically Best challenged. Keep ever. that hair yeah, forever. It's, it's, it's half as the hair, half as the apple. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> and the body about, guy. Don't forget about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's add that now. Yeah. Let's, How about for you? Because you're obviously still active. You're still traveling a lot when it comes to the world of pro wrestling. I mean, how, how much have you seen wrestling change over the last few years? And what do you think is going to happen in 2023 for, for the, for wrestling and for you? Uh, for me, I, I don't know. I don't have any special goals. I just like, you know, continue to do what I'm doing. Um, and wrestling, you know, I don't want to sound like the, uh, the grizzled old vet, you know what I mean? We got to understand that, uh, you know, things change, things evolve and you have to, uh, you have to embrace it. I just think there's a better way to mix the new style with the old style. I think the old style is still very relevant, still very necessary. Um, but it's just, I think the philosophy of how these kids start has changed so much. And I'll, you know what I was, I was, I, I, I think I found out what the answer is. Uh, the answer is, is, is um, like when I first started, I remember the first thing I, it wasn't how good my dropkick looks or how to spot. I remembered, because it was still kayfabe. So I was like, I hope they don't see through this. You know what I mean? I hope they don't see me as a phony. That was, that was my biggest fear of the whole match. And I think now kids entering the attitude with like, oh, everybody knows it's work. So they don't worry about that. But it's kind of like going to a movie. You know what I mean? You know, it's work, but you don't want to see the stuntman's cables or you don't want to see the stuntman's face. You know what I mean? You want to get lost in the movie. Well, that also comes from like your training. You're freaking getting ready for your first match and your dad didn't really smarten you up. So, I mean, that says a lot for you. You have respect for the industry as well. And Dave, I mean, with Carlito, he's, I literally say, Hey man, anytime you want to come to impact, let me know. Uh, with house of hardcore, I was like, you have a contract. You'll be on every show unless you're booked for more money elsewhere. Cause I mean, he's so talented, but that's kind of how like, and I always knew I would have a great match. He's one of my favorite opponents. Um, and he would always get pissed because he'd be like, dude, when I work with you, I got to work hard. And then, uh, <laughs> but he's one of my favorite opponents, but also like super duper talented. And again, I, I that comes from his upbringing in the business. It really is. And like, it, it's just, I can't say enough great things about him. He's been my friend forever, but it, it's the future is whatever he wants to be. And, you know, it's cool that he gets to write his own path because for a long time he didn't. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, and Carlito, I'll pay, thank I'll you. I'll pay the $10 value. Wow, <laughs> oh, $10. Uh, uh, Carlito, thank you for <laughs> thank you for the time. Uh, we truly appreciate it. And thanks for the insightful uh, knowledge that you've dropped on the nation about Puerto Rico. Uh, we truly appreciate you joining us today. Nothing. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is Busted Open's presentation of the Legacy of the Territories World Wrestling Council with your hosts, Dave LaGreca and ECW legend, Tommy Dreamer. Back here, Legacy of the Territories, talking Puerto Rico, myself, Dave LaGreca and Tommy Dreamer. And you couldn't get two better guests. Love talking to Carlito, son of Carlos Colon, but you go. 
Tommy. I mean, the excitement, the passion in his voice. Hard not to get excited about that Puerto Rican territory. Just, uh, you know, recapping both those interviews, they were so deep because you have one guy who worked alongside from, you know, early, early beginnings in Hugo, and then also, you know, the guy's son and and being a the son of a legend. Uh, and but then hearing how he paid his dues or how much his, you know, not only respect, but like his own father didn't smarten him up to the business till it's like yeah. his first match. Think of that. Like, and, or even like, seeing, uh, you know, and we asked him about, you know, seeing your father all bloody. He was like, I just thought it was normal because, you know, I would see my father and he'd be okay. And it's, you think about these old, it's just such a lost, lost generation and why we still talk about all of them today. Think of what Dusty Rhodes had told Cody at Thanksgiving, why heels are at the house. I mean, they, the business was so protected and that's what made it so special. And I really, you know, nowadays with Twitter, social media reporters, I mean, you can't take a shit without people, you know, knowing that, Oh my God, Tommy dreamer took a smelly shit in a stall. It's, it's amazing the lengths that they went to, to keep. And I also think that's why the business was so successful territorial. They all will talk about, Hey, this is, you know, where the business went wrong, but that's not what this is about. This is talking about praising the heyday of, of the hard work of all these men and women. I had totally forgot that Hugo was married to Wendy Richter at that time as well. And I was just like, what the hell? Mind blown. Cause I had totally forgotten about that. And how about the fact that he said he was making really good money in Puerto Rico and he was afraid to sign on with Vince McMahon because knowing that they were tied at the hip, that if something went wrong with Wendy, it would affect his career as well. Was not the case. Obviously, Hugo stayed with the WWF slash WWE for a very long time. But like, I can understand that fear. It's almost like a safety net. And Puerto Rico for the 80s, it was so hot. And talking to Hugo and hearing how you, you kind of hear these stories about the wild, wild west, and that was definitely true with Puerto Rico. Yeah. And I'm happy he's, you know, found God and changed his entire life. And and I've had nothing but pleasurable experiences with Hugo. He's always like, you know, and, and I would always talk old wrestling, you know, with him and you just, you see the guy's journey and still how exciting he is and how excited he is about talking about the old days, but yeah. how much he loved and still respects the business. And, you know, you could have your falling outs with people, but I mean, Hey, it made him, you know, a career, a career, uh, and coming from his roots to, you know, being a top guy and a top draw, it's uh, it's just like how we said before, full circle. You know, you see him with uh, he had blonde hair like when he first started uh, and, you know, bleeding buckets. He's not bleeding buckets today. But when you think about, it again, all the men and women that went to Puerto Rico made a lot of money. But like really like I mean, it, it was you worked your ass off. You worked your ass off in the rain and the, in the hot, hot weather and with volatile, volatile, passionate fans. And most of the times you did bleed buckets for those fans, no matter what angle you were in or what spot you were in. Yeah. And, and it's been great talking about this territory, a little bit uh, of a lesser known territory, Tommy, because. You know, I know for me growing up, I wasn't able to watch it, but that was the beauty of the wrestling magazines. We talked about that with Hugo. And now here's the beauty of YouTube. You can go back and watch a lot of these shows from the 80s. Go back and watch that Carlos Colon, Abdul the Butcher feud. It's available. So please take advantage of it. It was great having this show, doing these shows with you, Tommy. Um, 
this territory, especially Puerto Rico, I know it was something you were extremely passionate about, and I really hope we've been able to educate the fans about a very important territory like the WWC. Just like the X-Files, search it and you'll find the truth. Yes. Uh, again, thanks to Carlito. Uh, thanks to Hugo Savinovich. Tommy, thanks to you. And thanks to you, the Busted Open Nation. Definitely go to at Busted Open Radio. Tell us what you think about these shows, and we'll talk to you next time with Legacy of the Territories. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream the podcast. Catch the full three hours of Busted Open Monday through Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, channel 156. Go to SiriusXM.com backslash Busted Open Trial to start your free trial today. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.